Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a pina colada. What do you have? I am drinking a mojito. And on this week's episode, we are going to look at the Joel Cole murders. What started out as a way to make money helping two men out ended with the murders of four people that left the family and community devastated. On September 22, 2007, Kirby Logan Archer and Guillermo Zarabazo chartered the Joe Cole boat. They had arranged a trip to Bimini a few days prior. Archer and Zarabazo paid $4,000 in cash in $100 bills to charter the Joe Cole on Saturday to Bimini, Bahamas, where they told the boat's operators that they had female companions waiting for them. Along with Archer and Guillermo, on the Joe Cool that day were the crew of Captain Jake Branham, his wife Kelly Branham, Jake's half-brother Scott Gamble, and a family friend, Samuel Carey. The trip was scheduled to take about four hours round trip with the crew dropping Archer and Zarabazzo and Bimini and returning that night. Tensions were raised when the crew did not return the night of the 22nd. When the ship failed to return to Miami, the Coast Guard initiated a search for the vessel, which they did locate on September 24th, drifting approximately 18 miles off the coast of Cuba. There were no signs of the four crew members, but Archer and Zarabazzo were found on a life raft nearby. On the boat, the investigators found shell casings and bloodstains. The two men claimed that they had been attacked by Cuban pirates. The FBI was brought in and was suspicious from the beginning of the men's stories. They reasoned that pirates would not have left credit cards, electronics, and $70,000 worth of fishing gear on the Joe Pool. The FBI discovered during the investigation that Archer was a fugitive on the run from Arkansas. Archer had been a customer service manager at Walmart, but was facing the charge of stealing $97,000 from his former employer. Archer was also facing allegations of sexual abuse against young boys, including his own children. Zarabazzo's part of the plan has remained murky. He claims that Archer told him that he was a CIA agent and needed his help for a mission in Cuba. It's thought that Zarabazzo may have harbored delusions of becoming a secret agent himself. After persistent questioning, the truth was finally revealed. Arthur stated he wanted to flee to Cuba and enlisted Guillermo's help with that. After they got on the boat, he claims to have shot Jake and Kelly and added that it was Guillermo who killed the other two. Archer then said he asked Guillermo to pitch the bodies overboard. According to him, it was Guillermo's idea to kill the crew and dump the bodies in the sea. They set course to Cuba but ran out of fuel, so they had to use the life raft. Kirby said that two of them came up with the story of the hijacking while adrift. However, Guillermo maintains that it was Archer who killed all four of the crew members. Guillermo's understanding, again, was that they were going to Cuba to work on a security job that would eventually lead him to work for the CIA. Investigators concluded that Zarabazzo owned the firearm used in the murders. Authorities also found shell casings on the boat that were on a match that were a match to the type of gun that Guillermo used as part of his job as a security guard. The casings matched ammunition that was bought by Guillermo earlier in 2007. 
In July 2008, Kirby Archer pleaded guilty to first-degree murder, kidnapping, robbery, and hijacking the boat. As part of the agreement, the death penalty was taken off the table. Archer was handed down five consecutive life sentences. Sarabazo was tried on the same charges of murder, robbery, kidnapping, hijacking, and weapons charges and was initially found guilty of firearms violations. However, the jury deadlocked on the piracy and murder counts, with some jury members believing Zarabazzo's claims that the hijacking and murders had been planned and initiated by Archer without Zarabazzo's knowledge. At his retrial, Zarabazzo was found guilty on four murder charges and he was also given five life sentences. He was spared the death penalty due to his age and lack of prior criminal offenses. As of August 2022, the bodies of the four crew members have never been found. Jenny, what are your thoughts on the Joe Cool murders? I had never heard of this case before, and four people were murdered for no reason, it seems like. Kirby Archer's motive is very confusing, and I think Guillermo Zarabazzo uh, got taken advantage of to an extent. I do still think he's guilty. Their plan to escape to Cuba just... How, like, stupid can you be? And then the fact that they ran out of fuel, it was clearly, I mean, it wasn't a good plan to begin with, but it wasn't even planned well. And knowing that Jake Branham, Kelly, Scott Gamble, and Samuel Carey, their bodies have never been found, is really sad to hear. And I can't imagine what their families must feel and what they're going through. What about you, Del? Yeah, so I heard about this case a while back on a television show that I love to watch called Fatal Encounter. And yeah, it was just one of those cases where it stuck with me because of the lack of motive. The fact that they were like, we're going to kill four people to steal a boat. They clearly had money. It was alleged that Archer, you know, stole the money and that he had been involved in the local Miami drug trade. So clearly money was not an issue for him. So why not just rent a boat? Like, I don't understand why you had to go to murder. And a part of me wants to believe Guillermo that he didn't know about the plans to murder and that he was just not an innocent bystander, but a bystander, nevertheless, with the murders. But it was his gun. And there is some evidence that two people, Jack and Kelly, were killed on the top of the boat. And that Scott and that Scott and Samuel were killed in the cabin. So that would make it harder for it to happen one person killing all four people in two separate locations without the people in the other location becoming aware and being able to call for help or do anything to avoid the attack. So I just don't believe Guillermo. I think that he was trying to reduce his culpability in it. But I do believe that, like you say, he was taken advantage of and that he truly believed that this was CIA operation that was taking place and that they just really needed him for it. They didn't release any information related to like his mental health status, but I would be interested in knowing if he was diagnosed with anything while in prison, because that might shine some more light on why 
he was so gullible and why he seemingly truly believed the stories that Kirby Archer were was telling him. One of the interesting aspects of this case was the claim by Archer and Zarabazo that they were victim of pirates. Pirates hold a mythical space in most people's minds, and it makes it easy for people to claim that they were victims of pirates, even when that is not the case. So let's dive into what piracy is and some famous examples of cases involving pirates. Piracy is an act of robbery or criminal violence by ship or boat-borne attackers upon another ship or coastal area, typically with the goal of stealing cargo and other valuable goods. Those who conduct acts of piracy are called pirates, while the dedicated ships that pirates use are called pirate ships. The earliest documented instances of piracy were in the 14th century BC when the Sea Peoples, a group of ocean raiders, attacks the ship of Aegean and Mediterranean civilizations. I think it's Aegean. Piracy or pirating is the name of a specific crime under customary international law and also the name of a number of crimes under the municipal law of a number of states. In the early 21st century, seaborne piracy against transport vessels remain a significant issue with estimated worldwide losses of 16 billion U.S. dollars per year. Currently, pirates armed with automatic weapons such as assault rifles and machine guns, grenades, and rocket-propelled grenades use small motorboats to attack and board ships, a tactic that takes advantage of the small number of crew members on modern cargo vessels and transport ships. They also use larger vessels, known as quote-unquote motherships, to supply the smaller motorboats. Some nations have used their naval forces to protect private ships from pirate attacks and to pursue pirates, and some private vessels use armed security guards, high-pressure water cannons, or sound cannons to repel borders and use radar to avoid potential threats. Even though pirates raided many ships, few if any buried their treasure. Often, the quote-unquote treasure was stolen food, water, alcohol, weapons, or clothing. Other things they stole were household items like bits of soap and gear like ropes and anchors, or sometimes they would keep the ships they captured, either to sell off or keep because it was better than their ship. Such items were likely to be needed immediately, rather than saved for future trade. For this reason, there was no need for the pirates to bury these goods. Pirates tended to kill few people aboard the ships they captured. Usually, they would kill no one if the ship surrendered, because if it became known that pirates took no prisoners, their victims would fight to the last breath and make victory both very difficult and costly in lives. In contrast, ships would quickly surrender if they knew they would be spared. Modern pirates have become successful because of the large amount of international commerce occurring via shipping. Also, pirates operate in regions of poor developing or struggling countries with small or non-existent navies and large trade routes. Pirates sometimes even capture by sailing into waters controlled by their pursuers' enemies. The Americas and Africa have been identified by the International Chamber of Commerce as the most vulnerable to piracy as the result of less wealthy governments in the region being unable to adequately combat piracy. 
So now let's look at some examples of piracy in the modern world. The first one we're going to look at is the case of Captain Phillips. On the 8th of April, 2009, four pirates based on FV Winfar 161 attacked the ship. All four of the pirates were between 15 and 18 years old, according to the Secretary of Defense, Robert Gates. When the pirate alarm sound, Chief Engineer Mike Perry brought 14 members of the crew into a secure room that the engineers had been fortifying for such a purpose. As the pirates approached, the remaining crew fired flares. In addition, Perry and First Assistant Engineer Matt Fisher swung the ship's rudder. Nevertheless, the ship was boarded. Perry had initially taken main engine control away from the bridge, and Fisher had taken control of the steering gear. Perry then shut down all ship systems, and the entire vessel, quote-unquote, went black. The pirates captured Captain Richard Phillips and several other crew members minutes after boarding, but soon found out they could not control the ship. Perry remained outside the secure room lying in knife in hand for a visit from the pirates who were trying to locate the missing crew members in order to gain control of the ship and presumably sail it to Somalia. Perry tackled the ringleader of the pirates, Abdwali Muse, and took him prisoner after a cat and mouse chase in a darkened engine room. Muse cut his hand trying to keep Perry's knife away from his neck. Muse was then tied up, and his wounds were treated by second mate Ken Quinn. Later, after suffering in the overheated, secure room for hours, the crew attempted to exchange the pirate whom they had captured for the captain. But the exchange went awry, and the pirates refused to honor the agreement after the crew released their captive. Phillips escorted the pirates to a lifeboat to show them how to operate it, but then the pirates fled in the lifeboat with Phillips as a hostage. On April 8th, the United States Navy guided missile destroyer USS Bainbridge and the guided missile ship USS Halliburton were dispatched to the Gulf of Aden in response to the hostage situation. On April 10th, Phillips attempted to escape from the lifeboat but was recaptured after the captors fired shots. The pirates then threw a phone and a two-way radio dropped to them by the U.S. Navy into the ocean fearing the Americans were somehow using the equipment to give instructions to the captain. On Sunday, April 12th, the United States Navy SEAL snipers of Red Squadron Naval Special Warfare Development Group armed with semi-automatic rifles engaged and killed the three pirates on the lifeboat. Captain Phillips was rescued uninjured. Muse, the surviving pirate, was held in USS Boxer's afloat brig and was eventually flown to the United States to stand trial. Prosecutors brought charges in a federal courtroom in New York City that included piracy, conspiracy to seize a ship by force, and conspiracy to commit hostage taken. Muse's lawyers asked that he be tried as a juvenile, alleging that he was either 15 or 16 at the time of the hostage taken, but the court ruled that Muse was not a juvenile and that he would be tried as an adult. He later admitted that he was 18 years old and pleaded guilty to hijacking, kidnapping, and hostage-taking charges in lieu of piracy charges. He received a prison sentence of 33 years and six months. Next, we have the MT Orkham Harmony. On June 11, 2015, eight Indonesian pirates hijacked the MT Orkin Harmony, 
a Malaysian tanker in the South China Sea. The crew in the tanker were freed and recovered on June 19th near the southwest of Phu Quoc in Vietnam. Before the hijacking of MT Orkham Harmony, another oil tanker named MT Orkham Victory was hijacked by eight Indonesian pirates armed with two handguns and a pairing on June 4th in the South China Sea. The hijackers took the tanker to around 12.2 nautical miles off our island where they pumped the oil into another tanker before releasing the Orkham Victory. The pirates damaged all communication equipment and robbed the crew members of their personal belongings. All the pirates managed to escape unhurt. Communication with MT Orkham Harmony was lost on June 11th at 8.54 p.m. During the hijack, a crew of 22 was on board the tanker, including 16 Malaysians, 5 Indonesians, and 1 Myanmar national. The tanker was loaded with 6,000 metric tons of petrol worth around 20 million ringgit, 5.6 million U.S. dollars. All the eight hijackers were armed with pistols and parangs. On June 12th, the Malaysian Maritime Enforcement Agency, the MMEA, started to search for the tanker in the South China Sea in an area of 50,000 square kilometers after it lost contact for 10 hours. Malaysian authorities believed the tanker could have been hijacked and taken to nearby Indonesian islands of Natuna and Nambits. The pirates on board the tanker instructed them to retreat for about five nautical miles from the tanker and threatened to kill the crew's families if the tanker's captain leaked the pirates' plan to leave the tanker to the Malaysian authorities. The pirates also were quote-unquote practically begging the Malaysian authorities to let them go and continue their quote-unquote journey until they reached Natuna Island. After some negotiations, all the pirates managed to escape on the Orkham's rescue lifeboat. The RMN and the MMEA successfully secured the tanker at 12.50 a.m. With all members of the crew in safe condition except for one person who was injured in his thigh after being shot by the pirates. Several hours later, eight Indonesians who were suspected as the pirates were seen on Thao Chu Island as they were approached by the Vietnam border guard. The eight were confirmed to be the hijackers after being identified by the injured crew, who were shown photographs of the men as well as the pirates' confession during interrogation by Vietnamese authorities while they were shown images and information provided by Malaysian authorities. On the 12th of September 2016, after almost a year after the incident, the Vietnamese High Court finally approved the Malaysian request for extradition, while rejecting a similar request from the Indonesian government. On November 27th, all suspects arrived at Sinai in the National Airport of Johor, through a special chartered flight by MMEA from an airport in Hanoi. The Malaysian court sentenced all suspects to 15 and 18 years in prison with them all pleading guilty. Jenny, what are your thoughts on piracy and the two cases that we discussed? The Captain Phillips case is the first thing that comes to mind when I do think of like modern pirates, but I really didn't know that much about it. The fact that they had kidnapped him and then they tried to do a trade was a very intense, scary situation. And yeah, piracy just is very scary. And it seems like something 
that you wouldn't think would happen anymore. I guess maybe we feel so far removed because like parts of the Caribbean and like their stories and legends and it's like a very fantastical thing, but pirates do exist. And I guess it's just more prevalent in some areas. What about you? I agree with you. I think, you know, like we said in the intro that pirates have become an almost mythical thing that people don't really believe exists anymore. It's hearkening back to the historical times and not something in modern day. But I do think stories like Captain Phillips have done a good job of shining a light on a pretty significant issue that is affecting many people, especially in poorer countries, where the results of piracy have a much more devastating effect on their economy than it would for us here in the United States. I do think both of these stories are wow when you think about the fact that had it not been for just good sea communications between countries in the second case and just Captain Phillips having the tenacity and the determination to survive, these stories may have turned out a lot differently. But I am happy that in both of these cases, no one was seriously harmed. But obviously, that is not the case all the time. And piracy still has a devastating economic effect, as well as an effect on the individuals that are attacked. Absolutely. That's all I had. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think about the Joe Cole murders. You can read more about this case and how to support us in the links below. We will be back next week with a brand new episode focused on the murder of Kitty Genovese. As always, stay safe.